Das erste hier, Lord Jesus. Many words said this morning. Many things God is encouraging us in, challenging us in, but at the same time encouraging us in those challenges. Give us erste hier this morning, Lord. What your spirit is saying. Ask you, Jesus. I have the privilege of um, bringing us something of God's word this morning. Always difficult when so much of God's word has already come. So can I really add to this? I mean, is there anything? Uh, but I'm trusting as we go through this. And we're going through the series of Jacob uh, throughout all of our sites across the city. We've been looking at Jacob and the character of Jacob and how God was working in and through his life despite all the things that Jacob did, all the wrong things he did, the character that he was and how God formed and changed him. So we're looking this morning at Genesis 32. If you could turn there in your Bibles. This is a very interesting portion of Scripture. When I was a kid, I read this, I was like, this is weird, man. I mean, Genesis has got some weird stuff in it, and this is one of those weird things, right? There's so much, though, that's happening here when we go to Genesis 32. There's so much that we understand as we get older, we realize, say, hey, wait a sec, this is explaining what it's like. This is explaining what the walk, what our walk with the Lord is so often like, what our lives are so often like. So Genesis 32 from verse 22, um, it's got the title there, Jacob Wrestles with God. How many of you have wrestled with God? How many of you have done that and you've not wanted to admit that you actually are wrestling with God right now? Verse 22, the same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? It's an interesting response. I think this man that Jacob is wrestling with him responds like that and saying, why are you asking my name? Because actually Jacob knows his name. Jacob knows who he's wrestling against. And you see in the next verse, it says there, there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face. Jacob knew who he was with that night. And yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the fire that is on the hip socket because he touched the, Jacob, the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the fire. So let's look at, quickly backtrack Jacob's life as it has been in the story so far. Up to now, we've taken a really close look at his life and we've seen a man with significant flaws. From the womb, from the time he was born, he strove to make his own way 
in life. He didn't hesitate to pounce on his brother's vulnerability. Remember the story a few weeks ago uh, that we went through about the stew, the lentil stew. His brother's hungry. He takes advantage of the moment, gets his brother to sell him his birthright. He deceived his own father after some convincing by his mother. Why did he not need convincing? Not because he thought it was wrong to deceive his father, but because he was worried and concerned he would get caught. All right? He struggles along. Eventually, he meets his own match in Laban, who connives and basically says to him, you can have my daughter in marriage if you work for me for seven years. And then he works for seven years, and then Laban gives him the wrong daughter, forces him to marry someone else. And then says, well, you can have the daughter you actually wanted if you work for another seven years, right? Tricks him. He meets his match there, and after... um, He works for all those years, he marries under very difficult circumstances, and he ends up having children by four different women. He has two wives and two concubines. He actually marries those two concubines. You see in the verse there in 22, he says he's two female servants. After 20 years, basically in exile, he's eventually told by God to return to the land of his father and face Esau, his brother, who he tricked, and who wanted to kill him. And that's why he was fleeing in the first place. That's why he went to Laban and all that stuff. If you go back and read the story, he was fleeing from his brother Esau, and God says to him, it's time for you to go back to where Esau is and face him because of the promise that I've given you and your family that, you, that this is the land that I'm giving your people. So after working against God... His whole life, Jacob needed to realize that it was God who would deliver on his promise and not Jacob. See, up to then, Jacob had done all sorts of things. And it's a recurring theme throughout the book of Genesis. Abraham does a few things, puts things into his own hands, goes wrong, right? We see these recurring themes where God gives a promise and then the guys take the promise and they try and work it out for themselves. I wonder if that explains something in your life, right? God gives us these amazing promises. What we do is we take it and say, thanks God, now I'm going to make it happen. And again and again, God has to remind us, look, this is my promise. I'm going to make it happen, not you. We'll get to some more about more in depth in that in a moment. But the point to notice is that we are like Jacob, right? We have significant flaws, right? We do. We try and make plans, we try and do things our own way, we suffer as a result, many things happen to us, and we come to these moments in life when we end up wrestling against God. I want to pick out a few things here to note first that Jacob was alone when this happened. He actually received word, if you go back and read the context, that Esau had heard he was coming, so Esau was sending 400 men to go and meet him. Right, if you knew your bro- this thing happened with you and your brother and you hear 400 men are coming to meet you, you're going to think to yourself, okay, this is it. It's war, right? So to try and placate the situation, he first sends a couple of peasement gifts ahead and then he starts sending his wives and he starts sending his children before he gets there. So he's going to be lost. He sends them over the river and now he is left alone. And you see he makes a prayer in Genesis 28, 20. 
Now, if you remember a few, a few weeks ago, probably a month ago or so, when we were going through um, Jacob's experience called Jacob's Ladder, when uh, he sees the angels descending and ascending, and he has this revelation of God, and God gives him the promise, you might remember how he responded. He had said to God, oh, well, if you bless me, then you will be my God. That's how we responded to that amazing revelation. And we spoke about how often that's what we do, right? We say to God, thanks for the promise. Now, if you do it, then you will be my God. We bargain, we try and make a bargain with him. Right now, look at his prayer actually in Genesis 32, verse 9. He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I love that line. God said to him, Go back, face your brother who wants to murder you that I may do you good. (laughs) And there are times in life where God will ask you to do the tough thing. Even this morning we came up to deal with these forgiveness things, right? The tough thing. There are times where God's going to say, you need to do the tough thing. Do the tough thing and I will do you good. But listen to Jacob's heart here. It's definitely changed. He says, I'm not worthy, this is verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servants. But more of a humble heart after he's been knocked around in life. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. He was rich. He realized he was rich because God had made him so and not because of the work of his own hands. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, reminding God, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he prays with humility, asking God for favor and reminding God of his, um, of his promises. And then he sends his family over the Jabbok River, and now he is exposed and vulnerable. And that's the place where God meets him. Alone, exposed, vulnerable. That's the place where God will so often meet you and I. When we're now alone, when we're now exposed, when we are now vulnerable Michael Eaton says it this way, he says, it's God who takes the initiative. It is always this way. At times when we are desperate, God has a habit of stepping in. And they have this wrestling. This man arrives and they start wrestling and Jacob is wrestling ultimately with God. Now you might ask, did God really struggle to defeat Jacob? I mean, this thing happened all night. It's like, what the heck? How did Jacob manage to wrestle with God and keep him going all night, right? Ask what what was going on there. Obviously, God could beat him easily. But we see that God's going easy on him. Because God dealt gently with him. And it's the same with us. He goes easy on us, actually. The wrestling needs to happen. You actually do need to go and wrestle with God. Because there are things in our lives, in our hearts, that we have to get out. 
We have to sometimes go and do the wrestling because our heart is so hardened and tough and all the struggle, all the efforts, all the questions, all the things we don't understand, all the mistakes we've made have made us think of the world in a certain way, given us a certain perspective, and we do all need to go and wrestle this out with God. I encourage you to do that. If you are not doing that, do it. Go and wrestle with God. Go and have it out with Him. He's tough enough to deal with it. He's a good father. And I think there's a father, he says to us, come and let's talk this thing through. Come, give me what you got. It's like a thing with Jacob. Give me what you got, Jacob. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's wrestle this thing out. When we get to the end, you will know. You will see. The answers will come. And it's not going to be what you like, but the answer will come. The same happened with Job, didn't it? The book of Job. I love the book of Job, right? All this stuff happens to Job. They sit there and they philosophize for chapters on end. At the end of the day, God arrives. And when he arrives, Job says, I get it. I see you. I understand who you are. That's all I needed to know. I get it. Right? I'm just a man. So this is another quote from Michael Eaton. The battle with Jacob is quite literal, yet at the same time, it's a parable of the way in which God's been dealing with Jacob for many years, in fact. When God's gentle fighting does not succeed, though, he uses a more forceful method. He puts Jacob's um, hip out of joint. Now, while Jacob was still in the womb, God began to speak promises over him. God chose him, even from then, to be the one that would carry the promise that he had originally given to Abraham. And his method of working this out with Jacob was gentle, year after year after year. But he would eventually defeat Jacob, in a sense, when Jacob finally submitted to him. When Jacob had reached the end of himself. God ends the fight with a more forceful method and puts his hip out of joint. And in fact, he strikes him kind of right in the groin area. According to Hebrews commentators, the phrase he touched his hip socket could easily be translated as he struck the hollow of his thigh or groin. Would have had to strike it with a great deal of force. Sounds pretty sore. So what we see here is that God strikes him in the area of self-sufficiency. Jacob could have children very easily, in fact. He had a couple of children, right? The area of self-sufficiency, the thing that was natural and easy for him, thing that he actually didn't need to put much work into doing, right? God's like striking you there, the very heart. And it's also the place, the area that represents the promise that God had given, you would have many sons, a nation of multitudes. God strikes him right there in the promise, strikes him in the area of self-sufficiency. And that's what God does. This is the gospel, guys. He, he comes and he makes us realize that we cannot save ourselves. We can't do it. There's nothing that we could do. We can't buy our way into it. We can't scheme our way into it. We cannot forgive our own sins. Can you forgive your own sins? No, you can't. So what do we often do? We try and find ways to make that happen. Try and find ways to deal with our conscience. Maybe we do a couple of good deeds. We give to charities. Maybe we decide that we're going to get involved in the right sort of activism. Maybe we make excuses for the sins and the things that we do. Well, 
this actually isn't so wrong, God. Let me explain to you why. Let me philosophize around this thing. Let me come up with reasons why it is that I am actually okay. I don't even need forgiveness. Right? We scheme our way through this thing to try and appease our conscience. And God comes and he says, actually, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. He had to do it for us. He went to the cross, he died for us, and he was raised for us, and we have to enter into faith, enter into believing that we have to submit to it. We have to submit to the work of God in our lives, submit to the work that God did for us on the cross and in his resurrection, and say, I can't do it, he has done it all. We have to receive from him. This is a receiving faith that we have, not a faith where I give and God's going to now give to me and he's going to fulfill his promise because of all that I can give. No, he fulfills his promise because of what he gives. And we have to come to that place where we realize that that is the Christian life season by season. We have to come to a place when we realize God is sovereign. He decides the times and the seasons we will live in. He makes that decision. Ecclesiastes 3 has been very encouraging for me the last few weeks. If you go read Ecclesiastes 3. It says there is a time for everything. There's a time for planting and a time for uprooting. There's a time for loving, it says, a time for love and a time for hate. We love people, but there's a time to hate the things that are getting in the way of people, things that are bringing people down. There's a time for peace and there's a time for war, sees Ecclesiastes 3. And if you think about that in terms of the times that we are living in, It says that God has apportioned and decided the times. He has decided that we would be living in this time. With all the things going on in the world today, with all the things that are maybe getting us down, making us confused, whatever's going on, whatever is hitting you, God is the one who is sovereign. He's in charge. He's decided you and I will live at this time. We have to realize that. And we have to realize that in in season by season, no matter what season we are in, we have to still have faith. In the times of peace, we must have faith. In the times of war, we must have faith. Because life is all about faith and trust in Jesus. In the times of peace, we might have self-sufficiency. Right? We often get to that place. Are the things working? I know I've worked life out now. You just follow these five steps. I've read the books. I know what's going on. Do the thing. Right? And then times for war come and we realize... Yo, the things we did, they aren't working anymore. Faith gets us through the times of peace and the times of war. And this is where Jacob came. And this is where we will come as we wrestle with God. Sometimes we say to God, sometimes we like Jacob and we've schemed and we've done all the wrong things. And sometimes we've done all the right things. We've done what God asked us to do, maybe. We've looked at the word and, you know, we haven't done all the bad things that the word tells us to avoid. And so we say to God, hey, I did all the good things. I did all the right things. Now, where's the promise? And the promise isn't coming. And you're like, God's unfair. No, because actually he has to realize that's not about whether you do the right things or the wrong things. It's about his grace poured out over our lives. And this is the place that Jacob gets to. Wrestling with God. You promised you will do it. You promised, you promised, you promised. I'm not going until you bless me. God hits him in the self-sufficiency area. He walks for the rest of his life with a limp. And that's what it's like for us. God will make you walk the rest of your life with a limp. Something. 
a hurt, I don't mean like a big emotional hurt, but a moment, right, where he's broken that thing in you. He's broken that heart, he's that, that self-sufficient heart, that self-righteous heart. And there's humility and there's repentance in our lives. Repentance is a gift from God, says Hebrews. If God is granting you repentance, take it. Take it. It's a gift. It's a gift to live in repentance with God. It's an absolute gift. It brings humility and it brings his life and his goodness. Take it. It's hard. It's the hard thing we have to walk into perhaps. Admit we were wrong. Or admit we were right but we had the wrong heart towards the fact that we were right because we insisted God must do it because this is what the contract says. But God's not into contracts, guys. He's into relationship. He's into faith, trust in him, and he will get our hearts there. No matter what it takes, it will be hard, but he will do it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And what happens then is God renames him. When this moment arrives, where Jacob finally submits and realizes, okay, he's God, I'm not. He's in charge. He's going to make this thing happen. Whatever happens there, we're not given all the details of what precisely goes through Jacob's mind. But the moment arrives where God hits him and he gets this realization and he submits to God, then God renames him. What we see here, it's a key moment. Jacob asks, I mean, God asks Jacob his name. Now, if you remember what his name meant, his name meant Yil Grabber, right? It was the character of Jacob. The very name of Jacob was his character, the Yil Grabber, the schemer, the conniver. Right? So God asks him, what's your name? God doesn't know his name. He doesn't know who he's wrestling with. No, he knows him. Jacob has to admit, my name is the hill grabber. My name is the schemer. I am the conniver. God says, cool, you've realized that now. You're not running away from it. You've realized that now. Now, let me give you a new name. And he names him Israel. Your name, verse 28, shall no longer be called Jacob. When you get saved in Jesus, let me tell you, he gives you a new name. Right? Go read the book of Revelation. He gives us all a new name. We don't know what that new name really is. But there's an indication in the book of Revelation. It's coming back to this, saying God gives you a new name. Who you were, the old you, that's gone right? Made into a new creation. This is what he's doing you. He's forming you throughout your life into this new name. He gives you a new name. He gives it to you. You didn't form it and make it yourself. You didn't choose it. He chooses the new name that he gives you. And he chooses and he says to Jacob, yeah, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The prevailing is actually to be in submission. Right? The victory is actually to die with Jesus and be raised in Jesus. So no longer was he the grasper, but he became the one who struggled with God and men and prevailed. Jacob finally prevailed and he gained true victory by being defeated by God. Isn't it beautiful? Victory and defeat. <laughs> Submitting to God is our greatest victory. So Jacob had always made his own way until this moment arrived. And his limp was a reminder of God's mastery. So we come back to Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace 
you have been saved. Through faith. Through your works? No. Through your cleverness? No. Through your bloodline? No. Through faith, through trust. Trust, just trust. And this is not your own doing. Even that, trusting, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Some translations say, um, masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. A painter painting, forming us, crafting us out of clay, making us into something wonderful and beautiful. Got to get into his hands for him to do that. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, the newness, the new creation that you are, created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works, but for good works. Is now God provides his purpose to us. Created, dishing out the purpose. We're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So like Jacob, we're called to live in the fullness of God's purposes. He might deal gently with us, but at times he'll also deal firmly with us. And both of these are a demonstration of his grace to us as he leads us into his promises. I'm going to leave it there, actually. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for how you deal with us and how you see each and every single one of us, even now this morning. You see us. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would come to you and um, in our aloneness, our vulnerability, we would open our hearts to you. Open our hearts to you. You've done such amazing things this morning. You've spoken to us in such amazing ways. Lord, may our hearts be open and ever open to you. You would come and you would form us. Lord, lift our faith. Give us this faith to trust and believe in you, Lord. Not in anything else, not in our works, but in you and you alone. Ask you, Jesus.